about, and I'm also very thankful that you're hungry for that. And that's what we, we just want to load ourselves up with the Word of God because we know that it's like a seed containing all we need for life. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So with that, in my, in my, when I teach, I know that I talk fast. I've been told that often. But, you know, I was very encouraged because the last men's retreat, um, Ben Corson was there. I wasn't able to go, but they told me that he talked twice as fast as I do. I said, all right, yeah, so you just can't take notes. <laughs> So we're gonna, we're, we've been kind of experimenting a little bit, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 12 and just stay there, and then any other scriptures for, for the most part that I'm going to share with you, we're going to put them on the screen for you so you can follow along, because I personally am convinced that the more we can take the Word of God into our senses, whether that's seeing it, reading it, memorizing it, uh, whatever it might be, listening to it. The more we can do that, the more we benefit because we grow. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So if you're new to Calvary, welcome. When you come, I'm going to load you up with the Scriptures or someone else will. And we totally and completely are committed. God said He has exalted His Word above His name. God gives a high, high place for His Word and how we need the Word of God. And I know you would say amen to that. So would you, and then the other thing we want to do as we read is just like they did in Nehemiah, just stand in in reverence for the word as I read it. So would you stand with me? Genesis chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 10 through 20. We'll pray and then we'll get into it this morning. Genesis 12, beginning in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there for the famine was severe in the land. It came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of, woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you, that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men, considering him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So, Lord, we do bring our hearts to you this morning. We need your word seed, you know, sown into our hearts continuously. Your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. In keeping these things, there's great reward. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Jesus, you said, hearing the word and obeying it is like building a a solid foundation. James says, be hearers of the word and not doers. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. So, Lord, all these things, we desire so much to grow in our faith, to mature in our faith, to understand and know you, the only true God, and to live according to your word that, Lord, as you said, we would be blessed. We know, Lord, your truth sets us free. We know, Lord, that as we are applying these things to our lives, it's for the sake of, our, of blessing us 
benefiting us, but Lord, not just us, but the world that is so in need of a testimony of those that are living for you. So please, bless this time we have in the word now, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Watchman Nee said, the Christian experience from start to finish is a journey of faith. And so as we're in this whole series on journey, like Abraham, we're all on our own journey of faith. These chapters have much to teach us, and I'm calling it the mysteries and the majesty of the faith of our father Abraham. And they are mysterious and they're majestic because we serve a king. So he went out not knowing where he was going. He did not go alone. His most intimate relationships were tested. He learned to believe God for his promises. He also learned to trust God in making choices. So these and many other things are the things that we're going to look at, but also these are the things that God is calling us into. So Genesis 12:10 it says there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there for the famine was severe in the land. And so last week we call, we looked at the call to faith. This morning we're looking at the test of faith. Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. May I say to you our faith will be tested. So there's one place that we can always know we're going, and that's to be tested. We're going to test land here in the USA. So Abraham's faith was not perfect. Neither is yours, and neither is mine. God is working in us a greater and deeper trust and faith in him. Abraham seems to have stumbled right outside, right out of the gates when God first called him. Here, it looks like he's stumbling somewhat again. So our faith will be tested. We have this ideal in our minds, this idea and ideal in our minds of what, of sort of the substance of our faith. But God knows what it really is, and so he tests us in order to show us what really is the substance of our faith. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2. You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. Now, that's a long time. To humble you and test you. Now, our, our journey, however long it is, is going to always be having this work of God in our hearts of testing us to know what was in your heart. Now, not that God doesn't need to know. He already knows. We need to know whether you would keep what his commandments or not. Now, testing grows faith in order to show us the maturity of our faith. It shows us the reality of our faith. It makes us the real deal in life and in love. So James puts it this way. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, I know you always do that, don't you? And this is great. I'm going through this horrible time in my life, but man, well, why would we rejoice? Here it is. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Now, some say, don't ever pray for patience. No, we need patience because we know God. God's at work in our lives. So it's a long haul, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, that is complete, lacking nothing, a fullness in life. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, tested, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those, not just anybody, but to those who love him. So listen, the test of faith is not a pass-fail mentality. You either make the grade or you didn't. 
And when you do make the grade, then in the pass-fail mentality, how did you do compared to everybody else? And there begins to be this, okay, I got a 93, what'd you get? I got a 98, oh, really? The testing that we're talking about, the test of faith, is this very hopeful work of God to prove and transform our lives. It's not to compare ourselves with others, but to make, make us more like Jesus. That's who we're looking to. And in this, what we're actually doing is we're rooting for each other. We're saying, come on, let's go, let's go. As God transforms our lives, we're becoming more like Christ. And none of us is ever going to attain to that perfection. But we're, we're rooting each other on. We're, we're encouraging each other along in this thing called our journey of faith. You see, the test of faith is the refining and purifying of our character. It's the refining and purifying of who we really are, our character. So Psalm 17, 15 says this. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness, to be more like you. So, uh, Proverbs 17, 3. The refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. God is overseeing the removal of the impurities until he sees his perfect reflection. So the refiner looks over the refining pot and as the silver's in there and all the impurities, as it's heated up, they, they rise to the surface and he skims them off. Then more comes up and he skims, until finally he can look in there and see his perfect reflection. That's what God's doing in testing. Job 23.10. But he knows the way I take. Now right before this, a couple of scriptures before this, Job saying, he's on my right hand, but I don't see him. He's behind me, I don't see him. I can't see him, but he knows the way, he knows the way I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. So this refining and purifying of our character is why we, we look to God to test and prove our faith. So what is it that tests our faith? There are three things I'm going to give you this morning. The first one is this. Circumstances test faith. Circumstances test faith. Job's circumstances went from really good to really bad, to severely bad. All in one day. No warning, no obvious reason, no escape, and very little comfort. Now, this is a man that God boasted about, but you see, the work that God was doing in Job's life was going deeper and deeper and deeper. We don't arrive. Paul said, I've not yet attained. There's this work that's lifelong. And for Job, he, he has, his circumstances were really good. I mean, he was blessed in that sense. But they went in one day with no warning to severely bad. God tested Job. And Job said, when he's testing me, I'm going to come forth like gold. It's all worth it. And indeed, Job did. The book of Job is an invitation to trust God's wisdom in suffering. We looked at that book a little while ago. For Abram, a famine was the circumstance. In fact, it was a severe famine, a severe lack of rain leading to a lack of food. And so hunger begins to set in. Now, we really don't know what it means to be hungry. I mean, we know, but we don't know. 
What, a whole populations of people go for entire days without eating due to lack of money or the lack of access to food. 815 million people in the world go to bed hungry every night. So we really don't know, most of us, if not all of us, have ever faced hunger in that sense, certainly not starvation. We're thankful for God's daily blessings, are we not? What I want to apply this to is not the, not the famine of our stomachs, but the famine of our souls. When we're coming up empty, and it can cause us to stumble. We feel empty. We feel rejected. We feel lonely or discouraged. We feel depressed. We feel defeated. We feel rejected. What do we do when we're dealing with these lacks, these things that are, seem so missing? Often, we seek fulfillment in places and things, in substances and in media. The human soul was created for relationship with God. Spirit to spirit, spirit to soul, God is the only answer for the deepest need that great hunger pang of our souls is for God. And without knowing God through Jesus Christ, the meaning, value, purpose, and love that comes from God only is not just lacking, it's altogether missing. No exception. That's the, the greatest famine of the soul. But then also, the human soul needs relationships with people. Family, friends, soul to soul, heart to heart, hand on the, soul, on the shoulder, hand in hand, eyeball to eyeball. God created us and we need that. And that's what we need when the circumstances of life seem out of control or when they're just minor. We need one another. No exceptions. I am not a rock. I am not an island. And neither are you. A rock feels no pain. An island never cries. But I do, and so do you. I have need of human friendships. Though they do cause pain, but so do you. I have need of human love, though there are many times I cry, and so do you. No thing can ever supply the needed touch that we have for human beings, for one another. And so when I think of circumstances testing faith, there are two things that are essential God and people. God and people. To meet the deep need that I have as a human being in my soul. Decisions not only test faith, circumstances test faith, but also decisions test faith. And having to make a decision, so much the more. Now, Abram had a responsibility to take care of his family. As the famine got worse and worse, Abram was forced to make a decision. He had to make a decision. What am I going to do? He decides to go down to Egypt. He said, there's always food around the Nile. And I believe that in going to Egypt, it was temporary in his mind. We'll, we'll be coming back home when the rain starts again. 
Now, whether it was the right or wrong decision, we can only speculate. Some say God never told him to go down. He shouldn't have gone there. Maybe, maybe not. The truth is we aren't told and we can't possibly know. Here's what comes to mind. We must have grace for others in trying to decide on dis- to make decisions. And we must have grace for ourselves in times of trying to make decisions. But there is one decision There's absolutely no speculation about it. Elijah put it this way. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. Joshua put it this way. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, you know it well. As for me and my house, we will what? Serve the Lord. You get that one decision settled in your heart to follow and serve the Lord and all other decisions will follow along. I'm not saying it'll be easy. We will certainly stumble. But God will cause all things to work together for good to those who love him. God will make everything beautiful in its time. God, listen, God does all things well. All things. He's our perfect decision maker. In other words, it's going to be okay. Oh, decisions test faith, but it's going to be okay. My every decision, my every prayer is with God, and he is my deciding factor. And so we read in James, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask who? Ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord, for he's double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. In other words, realize who we're asking, and then at some point there comes a need to make a decision in trusting God. That is a testing of our faith. Philippians 6 goes right along with us. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, how? By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to who? To God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. There is this supernatural peace that comes through prayer to God. Will guard your hearts. And literally, in the language, it's a soldier standing guard over your heart. Will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So many times, making a decision is extremely difficult. I will tell you from personal experience, and you also know this, sometimes I just don't know what to do. I'm at a loss. I've tried this, I've tried that, and I don't know what to do. And in this decision-making process, I would be foolish 
not to be heavily weighted and heavenly waiting with God in prayer. Weigh it down with prayer. Wait for that heavenly answer, wisdom. In prayer, seeking the peace of God. And I believe I counsel us all the time, myself included, that when I'm seeking an answer, when I'm seeking a what's God doing, the one thing I look to as extremely important is the peace of God. It passes understanding, but there's something about this that I feel, okay, i got to make the move. This is what I'm going to do. And then God continues to direct me through those choices. I'm looking for the persuasion of God as to what to do. Because, because this whole thing of decisions tests faith, and I don't know what to do many times. Sometimes, I will tell you, it's agonizing to wait. Agonizing. James says patience. I say answer. <laughs> but listen, <laughs> with waiting comes great wisdom. We're told when, Lord, and then the waiting must necessitate the including of counsel. So we read in Proverbs eleven fourteen. Where there's no counsel, the people fail. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Talk to people. Talk to friends. Talk to those that you trust. Again, Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counsels, they are established. Another proverb says, by wise counsel, you're going to wage your war. And I will tell you, as believers, we're in a battle. We're in a war. And sometimes the things that are going on, we have to say, okay, I'm declaring war. And how do I carry that? I've got to get counsel. I've got to be praying. I've got to be looking to the word of God and seeking the peace of God. My counsel, here's one area. My counsel to anyone waiting to be married is to make sure you meet your mate serving the Lord. Because if he is not serving the Lord when you meet him, it's almost a given that he'll be not be serving the Lord after you marry him. And God would spare you the anguish of being unequally yoked. Meet your mate serving the Lord. Find someone who without you is intent on following Jesus and serving the Lord. Coincidentally, you can serve the Lord here at Calvary Chapel South at any time and any place. <laughs> We saw the Surf Club video. I believe that those who have served our children are going, to be put to the, are going to be brought to the front of the line when Jesus is giving out his rewards. That's how important children are to God. Getting their hearts when they're young. Writing on them the scriptures as we heard and saw. And so you never know until you do it. Make the choice. Make the decision. Here's another one that the third one, fears test faith. How many of you say amen to that one? That's the biggest one. Fears test faith. So verse 11, again, Genesis 12, it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife and they'll kill me, but they'll let you live. Please say you are my sister that it may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. Fears test faith. Self-preservation is a powerful motivation. It's when we go into survival mode. 
I'll do whatever it takes to get through this. Abram schemed. He soothed his conscience with half-truths where he included the information that would help him get through the situation. Archaeological discoveries have confirmed the legendary beauty of Sarah. My quote, she was a 65-year-old, eye-stopping Mesopotamian knockout, unquote. She was beautiful. So Abram had every reason to be afraid. That's, his, that's her husband, so just ditch him, and here we go. Now, from a, from a purely human perspective, his scheming, his plan was very clever. In fact, it was brilliant. Now, it's not the first time. We read in Genesis chapter 20, verse 13, that he did the same plan when he left Haran earlier. And it worked. Her brother, as her brother, half-brother, you know, half-truth, half-brother, but as her brother, he would be recognized as in charge of any marriage plans that someone would want with his sister because his father's dead, Haran. If someone wanted her, they'd have to go through him. So he's in charge. He's in control. The only collateral damage would be some possible hurt feelings from potential hopeful uh, suitors. But he could take care of that. And not only that, he's buying time so that by the time the famine is over, he can just take her and get out of Egypt and put it all behind him. So it's brilliant, really, what he did. All is well so long as all goes according to plan. But what Abraham never took into, Abram never took into account, and it's a biggie, is Mr. Pharaoh. So let's read verse 14. It was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians, that's all the regulars, saw the woman that she was very beautiful. But notice, the prince of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake, ironically. That's how he got wealthy. The sheep, the oxen, all those things. So listen. Pharaoh answered to no one. Mr. Pharaoh in this foreign land was who everyone else answered to. So here's Pharaoh in complete and total charge. And all of a sudden, this plan of Abram's begins to unravel very quickly. Abraham is left powerless. He can do nothing about what has just happened, this turn of events. So he finds himself in this impossible situation. He's not in control. In fact, someone was sharing with me, in fact, it was Joel Richardson last week, talking about this whole idea, and he calls it the, the illusion that you're in control. Now, how many of you have discovered that illusion? <laughs> you think you're in control, but really, it's an illusion. You're not in control. God's in control, but I'm not in control. I'd like to think I am, but then just like Job. Job thinks it's all, and, you know, whether it's those kind of things. But we are not in control. Would you give me an amen on that? We are not in control. It's an illusion. We want God to be in control, but we also want to be in control. And when it comes to this, our fears, our decisions, and our circumstances, we'd like to hold on and figure it out so that we don't have to trust and believe God. So the irony is that because of Sarai, Pharaoh made Abram extremely wealthy. And he actually left Egypt with all those things. But the question is, at what cost? What's the cost? 
He is free and rich outside while his beloved Sarah was enslaved in Pharaoh's harem inside. I believe Sarah probably had anxiousness by day and sleeplessness by night. Another potential probably is that, remember, you know who Hagar is? She's going to come up. Probably picked up when they were in Egypt. His wealth became a problem with his nephew Lot. So at what cost is the question always in these kinds of things. You know, it's sad what happens to families that have to divide up an inheritance. My wife Charlotte's philosophy is this, spend it all here so there's nothing left to fight over. I like that. <laughs> Fears easily lead to being deceitful. And that compounds the fears because now we have the fear of being found out for what's really gone on. Now, this passage is about a whole lot more than simple honesty, but it certainly includes it. Best policy, be honest in what you say or don't say it. Look at this psalm. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. In other words, Kevin, shut your trap. <laughs> don't say it. Keep. Don't say it. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. James puts it this way. You probably know it well. My brethren, let not many become teachers, knowing that we, sh we shall receive the stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in what? Word. He is perfect. A perfect man, a complete man, able to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. So the tongue is a little member, but boasts great things. I'll tell you, this is an ongoing lesson in all of our lives. This little the problem that... Because it wags too much. So James saying, bridle our words, rudder our speaking, and stop wagging our tongue. Psalm 34. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Psalm 120. In my distress, I cried, Lord, oh, and he heard my, how many of you have cried? Deliver my soul, Lord, from lying lips and a deceitful tongue. It's so natural. Colossians, don't lie to one another. Just stop doing it. I love what Jesus said about, we don't know a lot about Nathaniel, but as Jesus called Nathaniel, he says, behold, an Israelite in whom is no deceit. Wow, what a banner over our lives. Best policy, be honest in what you say or don't say it, but the second best policy, be honest and confess your dishonesty. Admit that you lied. Yes, you're a liar. And the sooner the better. For me, the sooner the better. I think I've told the story before, but I used to have a cabinet business that was at, a, at the church, that was at a school. And I took up a, the carpentry part of that with my cabinet. And I'm working. And when I'm working, I like to work. I Don't distract me. So one, a brother comes into my cabinet shop and asks if I have a key for the door down the, down the hallway because he needs to be unlocked and let in. And I told him I don't have a key for the door down the lobby, down the hallway. And he left, and I'm going, I just lied to him flat out. 
because I had the key, but I didn't want to do it. And I had to go track him down. It took me a little while. I had to go track him down. I said, you know, I just flat out lied to you. But what I find as we, as we, if we can, you know, it's difficult, embarrassing, painful to come out of hiding into the light of truth. But it's a powerful freeing thing. Powerful. And those who have the courage to do it are the ones who know it. It's not fun for anyone, the liar or the lied to, the deceiver or the deceived one. It's not fun, but it is so important to get those things out. It's life-changing repentance. Paul told the Corinthians in chapter seven, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 11, observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. That's what repentance is. What diligence it produced in you, what clearing of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. And all these things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. How? You were honest about your dishonesty. You confessed the things that you just said weren't true or half-truths. As I search the scriptures, lying is a very serious thing to God. Look at this passage in Proverbs. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift running into evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among the brethren. Jesus in John chapter 8 said you are, to the Pharisees, you are, you are, you are of, you are, are of your father, not our. Your father, devil. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks for his own resources. He's a liar and the father of it. It's, he, he, he seeds it. He's the birthing of that. God help us. Amen. Verse 17. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and get out of here. <laughs> well, go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away. And notice, with his wife and all that he had. So it would seem, wow, the Lord has taken this thing and turned it around completely. Listen, thank God for his divine intervention in all of our problems. God intervenes here to take care of the problem for Abram. How many times has God rescued you from bad decisions? How many times has he rescued you from consequences of your scheming or from the lies of your half-truths or from the impossible situations that you find yourself in? How many times has God granted you repentance, the acknowledge of the truth? Will you escape the snares of the devil who would take you captive to do his will? Thank God for the many times he's answered our prayers. Thank God for the many times he's given us the peace of his presence. The wisdom that comes from above and the counsel that confirms plans and protects us from disaster. That's God's doing in all the testing. All of our Bible heroes were tested and many of them stumbled. But they're all in the hall of faith of Hebrews 11. Abram is one. Noah, Isaac, Gideon, Samson, David, Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, all tested. So I say, Lord, test on. We're in good company. As I turn to the New Testament, my tested hero is Peter. He's probably a lot of years also. 
Peter argued with Jesus, tested, he stumbled, but Jesus restored him. Peter boasted to Jesus, tested, he stumbled, but Jesus restored him. Peter put his foot in his mouth time and time again. He had the foot and mouth disease. When tested, he stumbled, but Jesus restored him. I think of the end, John 21, Peter said, I'm going fishing. The other disciples said to him, we're going with you also. They went out, and that night they caught nothing. But when the next day had come, Jesus stood on the shore. Disciples did not know it was Jesus. I love this. And Jesus said to them, oh, children, have you caught any food? I mean, they were in the boat probably going, who is this guy? Well, no. He said to them, well, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast the net, and they were not able to draw it in for the multitude of fish. So therefore, the one whom Jesus loved said to Simon, they're in the boat, said to Simon, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment because he removed it. He plunged, it says, into the sea. The other disciples came in a little boat, went far from land, about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. All Peter wanted to do was get to the Lord. Get to him. And all that had happened in weeping and denying him and all that, he said, I'm going, I'm going to go back to what I know I can do. And he found out he couldn't do that either until Jesus showed up. And then he begins the restoration. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter realizes there, there's a lot more work to be done in my love for Jesus. A lot. And that's a good place to be. When we come to understand, I love Jesus, but not like I want to love Jesus. I want to lay down my life, but I know at this point, even though I would think I can, I wouldn't. So this rugged fisherman knew what it meant to be tested, to be stumbled, to fail, and to be restored by Jesus. And let me say this to you. That was not the end of Peter's calling or his journey. Jesus was just beginning. This is not the end of Abram's calling or his journey. God's just beginning, and it's the same for you and for me. God is just beginning. Every day, it's a new journey of being tested in our faith that he might draw out a character that glorifies him and that blesses us and others. So what I'd like to do is, if you would bow your heads, please, believers in the room, I want to make sure that each time we have the word, we're giving people an opportunity to come to this wonderful Jesus that we know and love. And after that, I want to do a couple songs. We're going to do a couple songs just to respond together as the church. So as we're bowed our heads and we're praying, if you're here and don't know Jesus yet, and I'm confident you know whether you're right with God, you know in your heart whether you've really given your life to God. If that's you, I want to give you an opportunity today to, to say, I want to, I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to know him as my Lord and Savior. I want my sins forgiven. I want to know the peace of God, peace with God. So that's you. I'm just going to ask you just three simple things. First, just to raise your hand and say, yeah, I, I need to say yes to Jesus today. And then secondly, I'm going to ask you to stand up. 
in obedience to the gospel and confessing Jesus. And when you do all the fears, all the excuses, all the reasons you haven't done it up to this point, God's going to wash those away. And then third, just to walk up to one of the tables and there in prayer with someone, you'll go to God, confess sin, ask forgiveness, receive the Holy Spirit, and you will walk out of this church today a new creation in Christ. So as we're praying, just another moment. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand and keep it up there? I don't want to miss that. Say, yes, today is the day that I want to come to Christ. I want to receive forgiveness. I want to know that when I die, there's a hope of eternal life that surpasses anything I could even ever imagine. As we're praying. Now in these response songs, we're going to do two of them. Just ask you to, if you want to go over one of the tables, there'll be people to pray for you. You can come up and kneel here before the Lord. But what circumstance are you facing this morning? I want to invite you, simply this, to bring yourself in surrender to God. He's in control. He's in control. What decisions are you having to make? Again, I believe that we need to just surrender ourselves to God again. As the one who knows and will give us the wisdom and the peace and the counsel that we need. So maybe you you have a decision that's pressing. Maybe you don't know what to do. But just for a moment here as these songs are being sung. I want to, I'm going to invite you just to come and surrender yourself personally to the one who knows. Or maybe there are a lot of fears that are scaring you, actually. Again, I want to invite you to bring yourself to God by faith and just surrender your life into his hands as the one who is the keeper of your soul. To him whose perfect love cast out fear. If that's just individually, you want to stand, you want to come and kneel, you want to go someone to pray for you, I'm going to encourage just any of those through these next couple songs to ask God to give you faith to trust Him. To ask God maybe to soften your heart or to cleanse your heart or to strengthen your weakness. It's believing that all things have passed away and all has become new. It's singing that. Or that his love stays the same, he doesn't change. Or that there's this constant thing called grace that remains the cornerstone of a relationship with God. It's thanking God for his light, his love, to shine down on us in Jesus. So can we do that together right now? Hi, I'm Kevin Day, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel South. I really hope you enjoyed the message and that God spoke to your heart through it. If you'd like to know more about our church and find other messages to watch, head over to ccskent.org. And I would love to meet you at one of our Sunday services. God bless you.